A former vice editor has been sentenced to nine years in prison for his role in a global drug smuggling ring. Yaroslav Pashtakov is heading to prison for recruiting drug mules to smuggle large amounts of cocaine into Australia. I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 10-3. We talk with the National Post's Adrian Humphreys about Pashtakov's role in the drug scheme, how he was caught, and what led him to the criminal underworld. Don't forget you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get the best shows. Please leave us a rating, a review, and definitely tell your friends about us. So Adrian, we can talk about the court case and the sentencing in a little bit, but first let's talk about Yaroslav Pastukov or Slava P as he was known in some circles. Who is he and how did he first rise to prominence in the Canadian music scene? Uh, Slava was um, a, a big music fan uh, a, a who liked to write. He did some blogging. He he uh, wrote um, a self-published book uh, on uh, the fast living and a sort of a com- comedy type material and got a big break when uh, Vice Canada was launching uh, a Noisy, they called it. It's their music vertical. Mm-hmm. And you know, Vice, uh, as your listeners uh, may know, is a sort of a very youth-oriented uh, digital media brand that, although it started in Montreal, really took off in the United States and uh, has become a you know a very very popular destination for uh, for young uh, viewers and readers. And uh, this was a huge huge break for uh, for for Slava, and um, it, it gave him. A lot of cachet in the sort of the hip hop world that he really um, was a, a denizen of. He 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 was a very knowledgeable uh, hip hop uh, guy. Uh, he loved the shows, he loved the music, and he loved the lifestyles. And uh, that be sort of become more clear as this thing has gone by that uh, that he was actually more interested in the in the in the lifestyle of the hip hop uh, scene, meeting the stars, talking to the stars personally, um, doing drugs, experimenting with drugs, um, and very little uh, attention being paid to his job as a, a music journalist. Um, there was uh, you know he he wasn't really. You know, editing uh, material particularly well. He was uh, featuring uh, friends and uh, um, roommates and so forth in in the Vice material. Um, but still, it was Vice. It had uh, some cachet. It it, it was uh, vibrant, and uh, and this made him, um, you know, gave him a lot of access, uh, especially in the Toronto hip hop scene. Well, yeah, he he kind of comes to uh, Vice just as Toronto is kind of exploding as a new hip hop Mecca, also known as the six made popular by Drake. How do we get from him being a music editor who liked to indulge in some of the trappings of the hip hop scene in Toronto to being an admitted drug runner? Like what, what is going on here that leads him down this other path. When you're tracking the trajectory of uh, uh, Slava Pastikov from from uh, a, a music editor to an international drug runner, you have to look at it through um, various uh, lenses. There is certainly the story that he tells, uh, one that he tells in court, and and that's an interesting one in itself. Um, he said that uh, he's very ambitious. He uh, but he wanted more from his journalism career than just just being a music journalist. Um, he wanted to be a star within the Vice system, or just a star in general, frankly. And uh, and he said that he saw 
the 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 weight of fortune and fame at uh, at Vice was to sort of land a really uh, big edgy story, uh, one that you sort of um, require the journalist to sort of have some sort of embedded uh, or special access in. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he thought that, uh, that he, the only way that he was going to become real famous was to be sort of become a crime reporter, perhaps, or do some some big crime stories uh, or, uh, for for Vice. And he said that in that context, he came across uh, some friends who he sort of knew through his scene that uh, that had got involved in in cocaine smuggling. And he hmm. said that he saw this as his opportunity to you know blow his uh, journalism career uh, up a notch. And so he said that is why he got first involved. The, the, the gonzo journalism culture of Vice was uh, the driving force for him to start exploring a cocaine network. Once he touched base with the, with the people involved, he, uh, he realized it was uh, potentially easy money. Um, and he decided to go on a drug smuggling run himself. And he... Through this this network, he flew to to Las Vegas, where he was given luggage uh, with cocaine hidden in the in the lining. He flew to Australia. He delivered it uh, to the the people in Australia and came back. And he was, I think, it was you know like ten thousand dollars is the number that's been kicked about for for these trips. And it was it was a lot of money for him, and um, and it worked out well for him. And from there, he started to instead of making the runs himself recruit uh, an ever-widening circle of people uh, to go and he would presumably be get some uh, some cut or uh, or payment from these arrangements. So how many people were involved in this? You know, this is people at Vice or people he met in Toronto or the United States. Um, how many runners did he have working for him? This is one of the facts that we're not uh, really certain of. Um, we only know the ones that got caught. And okay. as with uh, a- a- any enterprise, any uh, ongoing conspiracy, um, you know, the, it's, it seems unlikely that the very first ones through were the ones that got caught and it ended. So certainly he went, uh, his, his co-accused in the case is alleg- allegedly went, uh, they they each went with uh, with um, other people, so that's sort of four. Then he arranged for uh, a group of five uh, young people. That's four uh, four Canadians and one American. Most uh, he he met through his vice connections mm-hmm. and contacts, and those are the ones that get caught in Australia. But. I know that he spent a lot of energy and time trying to recruit others. And this was sort of the focus of um, our piece in, uh, in 2017 uh, when we were investigating what he was up to because he had attempted to recruit several other people, vice interns, uh, vice freelance writers, vice artists, um, people that, um, you know, that he knew through uh, the hip-hop writing scene. He, he approached them, they tell us, uh, to do a very similar trip, to travel to Australia, free trip to Australia. They had to pick up, pick up some luggage. They had to take some contraband to Australia. It was foolproof. It was good money. And the ones we tracked, and we were talking, I think, eight that spoke to us uh, in the end, um, they all were very intrigued by what he was up to, but all um, smartly said, no, thank you. Did any of them report his dealings to 
hires up advice? The ones that we found and spoke to were very concerned about their own status and standing advice. Hmm. Uh, Slava was a very popular guy there. He was very good friends with the editor-in-chief. He was um, what some people describe as a vice bro, that sort of inner circle, uh, and, and he was their editor uh, and assigning editor. He assigned the payments, um, how much the freelancers got paid. I mean, one one of the um, the one of his writers told us that uh, that Slava told her to to charge extra on her on her invoice, but she wasn't going to get it all. He was going to keep a portion of it, but she would get a little more. Hmm. And so this was kind of the the the, the moral uh, latitude that he was working within. But they they didn't report. Um, their interactions personally out of those uh, fears, they tell us. But it did eventually, after the arrests of those in Australia, it did come to the attention of vice management. And uh, shortly after, when the facts were sort of um, figured out a little bit, uh, they fired him. Now, so we have a guy who, using his contacts with a very influential um, media organization, uh, using those connections to try and recruit people into a criminal enterprise uh, and trying to use those connections to further himself. This doesn't look necessarily good for Vice as well. What have they said about Slava's dealings here? Yeah, he, he very much, uh, this enterprise is linked to Vice. Uh, I mean, obviously not formally or officially, just by the proximity of, uh, of the people involved. Uh, his co-accused, who's not had his uh, case heard in court yet and his lawyer maintains his innocence, but according to the allegations that uh, were put forward, that his co-accused also was a former Vice employee, that, that Slava and the co-accused met while they were at Vice. Um, of the people that he tried to recruit, that told us they were, he tried to recruit them. Uh, the, the the meetings were often done at the vice headquarters in Toronto. Uh, the approach was made there. They would go for a coffee where he made the pitch. He even um, tried to do some of the arrangements over the internal vice uh, Slack communicate, you know, inner office communication uh, messaging system. So uh, there there is that that tie of 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 him blending his work. Um, with his his side gig, I guess. Now, Vice themselves uh, distance themselves uh, very strongly. They, they say that once they learned, they acted quickly. They fired him. They they claim to have done an investigation uh, and so on and so forth. At the end of the day, none of the people that we spoke to said that they had ever been um, asked about it uh, by Vice management until after our story came out. Hmm. So there is some sort of question about how aggressively and diligently they wanted to root out the problem but they certainly um did fire him they certainly have distanced themselves very much from the story he told about uh, him working on a story for vice uh, my sources at vice uh, ridicule that idea they say that they would never approve such a you know a dangerous and illegal enterprise they say that uh, editors were certainly unaware if he was working on a story he was doing it on his own they were unaware of it and they sort of deny that uh, sort of uh, the drug-affiliated culture that uh, is sometimes associated with the publication, especially from its early days, sort of had you know nothing to do with, uh, with with his individual criminal activities. 
And they certainly clean themselves up. I mean, whatever they did in the early days, the founders often brag about having done, you know, Coke sales themselves and so forth. Mm -hmm. Certainly the the institution as it stands now in Toronto, I, I know many of the people there, they're good journalists. Uh, they're doing some good stories and some good work. And uh, I think, you know, they're very embarrassed about uh, the association with Slava. So how did this all bust open? There's the the arrest in Australia uh, of these five individuals, I believe, was in 2015. He was let go in 2016. And then we have uh, a piece that you and, and, and other journalist Sean Craig worked on in, in 2017. How did this all come to uh, public knowledge here in Canada? The arrests in Australia went completely on a unacknowledged uh, in Canada, uh, it, it was just, um, which is kind of strange in itself because regardless of who recruited them or how they got there, four Canadians being arrested with bringing $20 million worth of cocaine into the country is a terrific story of it in and of itself. We started hearing um, through uh, media sources uh, because um, we were in the media world and, and the people that he was uh, sort of trying to victimize and recruit were in the media world. Some of the uh, background to to their story. So we started a very diligent and investigative process, um, speaking to people whom he uh, had approached or or may have approached, gathering their stories, getting corroborating text messages. I mean, part of the interesting thing about this was he he was a very careless criminal in that sense. Like I said, some of the stuff was done over internal Slack messaging, we were told. Uh, some of it was just text messages, and, and the people had kept the text messages and could show it to us. Uh, we were able to confirm that the phone number that was sending them were his, and, and so on and so forth. So we had an investigative piece. It, it really drew a, a lot of uh, attention at the time. Um, just outlining his uh, how he was trying to recruit these young drug mules using his position uh, at a at a very um, well known media brand to to engage in this uh, global smuggling ring. The story came out. It caused a lot of stir. If there was an expectation that he would be arrested in short order, that was certainly not the case. Um, Slava changed his name legally. Uh, he moved from Toronto to, uh, he quit or lost his job. He, he, he changed his name. He moved to Montreal. He was sort of living a, a, a new life there. He sort of had documented um, in social media sort of this, this reemergence in Montreal. And uh, he may have thought he was getting away with it uh, until all of a sudden the RCMP laid the charges, not for any recruitment uh, in Canada in terms of the uh, vice employees and former vice employees and interns and freelancers he tried to recruit from our story, but rather from the Australians that were arrested and they actually found the uh, the hard drugs in their suitcase. So he was arrested early this year, like almost four years after the arrest in Australia of these people with bricks of cocaine in their luggage, a um, couple years after your story, when it comes to getting to court, were you anticipating that he would plead guilty or were you expecting this to go to trial? It's always hard to figure out how someone's going to fight uh, the charges or deal with the charges. Um, it's a very difficult calculation, a very personal calculation, the strength of the evidence, you know, how much mounting a legal challenge would cost. 
so it could have really gone other, either way. The, the evidence ended up being fairly strong and unexpectedly and unknown to, to him at the time was that when he was making his sales pitch in person to a couple of uh, the couriers that were arrested in Australia, one of them, who he'd met through Vice, had obviously certain misgivings about what he was being asked to do, and he secretly recorded hmm. the meeting. And so on this audio recording inside Slava's apartment, courts uh, found that that was Slava and his co-accused making the sales pitch, speaking of the arrangements. The text messages were all found on the uh, on the accused's phone in in Australia. Each and every one of the person arrested had Slava's contact information in their phones, uh, and a series of text messages were put together. Uh, it, it, it shows the people trying to back out of the enterprise and text messages encouraging them and pressuring them to stay in. There was uh, discussions about how to get a burner phones when they get to Australia so they can con- contact them. And then how they were to identify themselves. So they had this system where – so the, the basic premise of the, uh, of, the, of the smuggling ring was you fly to Las Vegas – you spend a little time in Las Vegas, a couple of days. You meet up with some people who were to give you luggage. Now, you were to, they were to get an American dollar bill. They were to note the serial number, send that serial number to Slava. Slava presumably then sent it to the guys that were delivering the, the doctored luggage so that they would know. It acted two ways. One, to make sure they're giving the drugs to the right person, the suitcase to the right person. But also, once they got the serial number, it, it, it proves that the drugs were received by them. So they, no one can say, I never got them or I didn't deliver them. They would get the luggage. They would fly to Australia. And the plan on the other end was to do that same thing, but this time with an Australian $5 bill. Hmm. And there's text messages about get a, get a $5 bill, send me the, get, send me the serial number, et cetera. Now, it never got to that stage for the, the poor five kids that were arrested uh, uh, in Australia. They never got out of the airport. You know, their, their free trip to Australia, the, all they ever saw was, was uh, the airport customs desk the the road to the courthouse and the road to the prison. Um, that's all they would have seen. Now, when it comes to Slava's guilty plea, obviously he would have had to make statements in court a- a- admitting to what he had done. What did he say in court and how does that compare to what he has said outside of the courtroom? Yeah, one of the points of uh, interest for us in, in, in my reporting was, was that very fact that there was very much during his trial... Uh, the two faces of Slava Pastikov. Uh, one was his online persona, and one was the uh, the man standing in front of the judge. And they were they contrasted quite sharply, frankly. You know, I would go into the court. He would be standing there. He would be uh, um, agreeing to uh, certain uh, agreed statements of facts. Uh, he would be cooperative. He was unfailingly polite. He was always accompanied by his mother, who he clearly has a very, very strong bond with. Um, he he um, was was saying how uh, he understands that uh, the people in Australia were were victims of of his carelessness and callousness and taking responsibility for his criminal acts. And then he seemed to go home and then get on Twitter and Instagram and start writing about how there are no victims here, how um, uh, one of the accused in Australia was a big fibber, how the truth would come out, how, you know, um, you know, just, just 
un, uh, an apparently unrepentant stance and attitude. He refers to himself as like the most notorious Canadian or Toronto music journalist. He 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 talks about how badass it was. Sort of making jokes about uh, things like. Um, you know, you got to admit it's, uh, you know, these aren't his words, but the paraphrase that it's, you know, to um, smuggle drugs for the cartel, to get caught smuggling drugs for the cartel and not delete your Twitters, uh, you know, pretty cool or pretty wild or whatever. So this was a very different stance. Um, and yet it never seemed to come up in court. Um, I would write about it, and uh, uh, but the, the Crown prosecutor didn't seem uh, overly concerned about it. The judge didn't seem overly concerned about it, and he didn't seem uh, at all interested in um, in bringing it to anyone's attention. I, I, I asked him about it uh, the morning of his sentencing on the courthouse steps about how he felt uh, about this uh, contrast between his online persona and and his court courtroom persona. And um, he just dismissed it as, uh, I'm a changed man. I'm a changed man, Adrian. I said, well, it's like days apart. It's weeks apart. I mean, he goes, people change every day. <laughs> um, so that's how, <laughs> that's how he, uh, he dismissed it. So how long is he off to prison for? Well, he was given a nine-year sentence minus, um, you know, a, a hundred and something days for pretrial uh, in, incarceration. He spent some days in jail before he got bail, and then he was on house arrest. I'm not sure how um, arduous the house arrest was. So, he, Instagram photos of him having drinks in uh, in Toronto clubs, and and he was constantly online and on Twitter. But uh, regardless, a, a nine-year sentence minus some. Uh, now in Canada, you know, he'll be eligible for parole, uh, in much less time, mm -hmm. probably, you know, three to four year range. Uh, he's a first time offender. He has no pr criminal record. Uh, and the judge accepted as fact, his sort of origin story of him being sort of a misguided journalist that, you know, that, that got drawn into something beyond his control too fast, too quick. And, uh, she seemed to really value the, the, um, ties and relationship he has with his mother and to various friends, and uh, said that he had uh, excellent uh, prospects for rehabilitation and that uh, he seemed very unlikely to uh, to get in trouble again uh, afterwards. So uh, for all of those um, factors and his youthfulness, she took that into account. She said he probably would have got 11 years if it wasn't for those factors mm -hmm. and gave him nine. All right. Well, definitely a fascinating story, Adrian. Thanks for your reporting and thanks for your time. Thank you very much for your interest. 10.3 is produced by Carson Jarama. Additional production and theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest, Adrian Humphreys. More from him at nationalpost.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening. <laughs>